0: for the past two weeks called checkup, Um, And, uh, and we've just been identifying uh, how we might check up on our souls. If we were gonna go to the doctor and you know, learn that we have a broken foot and have to wear a boot for a period of time, it's good that we wear the boot because it makes us feel better um, and it makes our wife happier. And so all goes well for you, right, when you listen to your doctor and your wife. Um, that's just a free nugget for you this morning. You take that, you run with that, it's good for you. Men. Um, so, um, we have been talking about our souls, though, but you don't really go to the doctor and say, "Doctor, tell me about my soul because there's not really a blood test you can have that tells you how your soul's doing, right? So we have talked about our souls for the past couple weeks. Um, and the first thing that we learn, a little bit of review, the first thing that we learned is that we are a three part part being, a spirit. And a soul and a body. God made us like this to have a spirit and to have a soul and to have a body. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, it tells us that he intends for our spirit, soul, and body to be made holy and blameless before God. He said, I am going to sanctify, make holy, your spirit. I am going to sanctify and make holy your body. I am going to sanctify and make holy your soul and And preserve you, holy, until I return or until you go meet me in heaven. And so that's really good news. The fact that our bodies, which are failing, right? Case in point, okay. And, and our souls, which struggle, right? And our spirit, which we struggle to listen to God on a daily basis. All of that, God will make holy and preserve blameless. And that's like, we could stop right there, right? God will make you holy. Amen? Amen. Right? So we could dismiss there, but we're not. We're going to go further, okay? So that is what we are, a three-part being. And this is the verse. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through every part of you every soul bit every spirit every body the cells in your structure everything will be made blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So you don't make yourself holy. God makes you holy because he loves you, and he wants you to be holy, and he's going to help you do that. That's really good news, right? So we are a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body, and we are made holy by God. Now, then we talked about this. So if you weren't here the first week, bear with me. I will catch you up, okay? Spirit, right, is where God speaks to us. God speaks to us through our spirit because God is spirit. He speaks into our life, and we are aware of God through our spirit. But we have a tangible body, and that tangible body is aware of the world, right? You stub your toe, it hurts, okay? You touch a stove, and it's hot. People say mean things to you, and it hurts, right? And so our tangible body is aware of the input of the world, but our spirit is aware of the input of God and the one that we listen to most will influence our mind, our will, and our heart and determine our beliefs and our behaviors. So if we allow the input of the world to be the greater voice in our soul, then the input of the world will affect our thinky parts, right? Okay, our feely parts, our heart. And our and our uh, deciding parts, okay? And so that's our will. And so we will decide to live according to the will and the standards of the world. But if we allow God to speak into our soul, and He speaks into our mind and our will and our heart, then our beliefs and behaviors will begin to look more like God than like the world. Does that make sense so far? We're all cut up, okay? So that was where we were the first week, right? And we know that the soul, this middle part here, is the battlefield of our life. Constantly this tug of war between the body and the spirit, between the flesh and the world and God and his holiness. And we feel that tug of war in our mind and our will and our heart. And that's what we talked about the first week. Now, the second week, we learned this verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not... Copy the behaviors and customs of the world. Now, if you need anything more clear than that, I don't know, because that's pretty clear. Do not copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. This means God wants to get into your mind and your heart, and he wants to change the way that you think. And then you will know what God wants you to do. And then you will know how good and how pleasing and how perfect God's will really is for you. So God wants to do this for you. Remember, he wants to sanctify you completely. And he's going to do that by getting into your brain and transforming it and the way that you think. And here's what this looks like. If you allow your body to receive input from the world the world is going to continually tell you you are conditionally accepted. You are only accepted if you look a certain way, if you have certain abilities or you do certain things. And if you can't meet the standards of what the world says, then you feel insecure, inadequate, and guilty. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, okay. But. The Spirit of God speaks into your heart and mind and says, I want to transform the way you think. I I don't want you to think that you are conditionally accepted, you are not. I want you to know that you are unconditionally accepted, that no matter where you have been or what you have done or the things that you have seen or the things that have been done to you, no matter what you are unconditionally accepted, you are made confident in Christ, complete in Christ, and forgiven in Christ. So if you let the world speak to you, you are going to feel insecure, inadequate, and guilty. But if you let God transform your mind and change the way you think, then you will feel confident, complete, confident, complete, and forgiven because that's God inside of you saying, I made you, I am making you holy. Day in and day out, I am renewing the way you think and enabling you to live a life that pleases me. This is significant, right? So, here we go. That is our soul, right? We've done two weeks on the checkup, okay? But we have to ask ourselves a question. We have to go one step further. We gather together every Sunday, right? And we call this what? Church, church right? That wasn't a trick question. This is church. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to come up with a trick question like that. Hey, so we gather together as the church, Right? And did you know that the original word for church meant called out ones, okay? We are the gathering of the called out ones, but that's like really wordy, and so we call it church, right? Um, And what that means is we are people that have been called out of a life of sin, to live with the Holy Spirit and one another because we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ who forgives us from our sins and we are called out from a life of sin to live a life that looks completely different than the culture of world and we are to draw people into this life by our words and our actions. So, the church is the body of Christ, right? Christ is right now seated in ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So, we are the tangible example to the world. We are what the world looks at and says, who is Jesus and why should I even spend time with him? This gathering of people, this entity we have together is what people will look at and go, do I believe what they believe? Do I want to get to know the God that they claim? Do they live the way they say I should live, right? So um, we have to do a checkup on the church this morning. The church is the body of christ and i would go even further and say it is an embassy of the kingdom of god here on earth right so if you go to another nation um, and you have embassies right and when you go in the door of that embassy you're then on u.s soil right i think that's how it works right am i correct okay so if i were to go to germany first country that popped into my mind okay um and uh and i were to wander around germany i'm in germany But if I go into the embassy, the U.S. embassy, I am then on U.S. soil. That is an embassy, a little portion of the United States right there in Germany, right? So this is how the kingdom of God works. We are called out ones. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, the living son of God. And we have been bought by his blood and been renewed in our heart and our mind and our soul, right? And so when we gather together, we don't claim any country in here we claim the kingdom of god in here right so when people come here they're not encountering the united states when people go to a church in germany they're not encountering germany they're encountering the kingdom of god one nation with one lord and one spirit across the entire world all bought by the blood of jesus we are an embassy of the kingdom of god which means what happens here should be what's happening in heaven right does that make sense So when people come here, they should experience the joy and the fellowship and the repentance and the forgiveness and the grace that God exudes from his throne to his angels in heaven. We get to live and breathe that here and now, and that should light a fire in you because everybody wants to be in heaven with Jesus, but we get to experience that now among each other. But it kind of takes practice, doesn't it? I mean, like, we're not all perfect at this yet, and that's why we have to do a checkup. Okay, we have to do a checkup on the church this morning. I'm going to read you a verse. It's found in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. A little backup history. This is the day of Pentecost. Okay, God promised us the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. right? And he is going to speak into your spirit. Remember, that's how we hear from God. His spirit speaks to our spirit. And he is going to enable you to live an amazing life For me. that's what he said. So this is what happened after the Holy Spirit showed up in their life. This is really tiny. I'm sorry. Read along with me. They devoted themselves, the disciples, the people who loved Jesus, the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs being performed by the apostles. And all of the believers, all of the called out ones, were together. And they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a significant passage. This is one of the passages that we say is the kind of the beginning of what we would say is the church. They went from 12 people to 72 people to, in this passage, 3,000 people in one day, right? That's just a little less than a third of our town, right? So imagine if one day we had church and all of a sudden 3,000 people became believers one third of our town, and by the way, one third of our town, more than that, need Jesus. Right? It's like ninety percent of our town needs Jesus. Right? So this could happen. God's Holy Spirit wants this to happen. But what does this look like? Uh, well, let's start in the bottom part. Okay? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did did the people add to their number? The Lord. The Lord. Right? So so um. In this early church model, the church was concerned with adding to their number? No. What were they concerned with? What were the things they did? Fellowship, apostles' teaching, breaking of bread and prayer and what's interesting is these people that were added together were not people that would have hung out on a normal basis together these are people that had completely different lifestyles if you just look at the 12 disciples of jesus you cannot find a more varied group of people that in any other setting would literally kill one another case in point two of the disciples one of which was a zealot hey okay, a zealot was um a jewish extremist Someone who carried a knife, that's where they got their name from. The name of their knife, they took the name from. They were zealots. They were um, just really extreme Jewish eccentric people. They were known as terrorists. Um, And so they would go after the Roman people and they just wanted to do away with the Roman government and they would go kill people in the name of their Jewish extremism. Now you've got um, a tax collector who is a disciple of Jesus and they work together and they serve together. But tax collectors are Jewish people who sold themselves out to the Roman government to exhort money from their people. And a zealot and a tax collector, let's just say it wouldn't go well, okay? One of them was gonna end up with multiple stabbings because, the well, let's just say, um, the zealot doesn't like the tax collector. But Jesus said, hey, zealot, hey, tax collector, I'm gonna call you to participate in something that is bigger than the cause you think you are fighting for and you guys are gonna love one another. And lo and behold, they found a way to be knit together. And what's really interesting Is in the kingdom of God, God takes people that um, uh, wouldn't normally hang out together and says, You have something in common, and that's me, Jesus. And you guys are going to love one another, and you guys are going to enjoy each other's fellowship. And in this idea about um, the Lord adding to their number, that, that wordage in the original language means they are being fit together like puzzle pieces. And it won't work unless they are all fit together. And so God, in his wisdom, gathers all these people that, wouldn't, that the world would say, you don't fit in. But God says, you fit. I've got a perfect place for you. I need you and you specifically to be here and to love and to be loved by the rest of these people. And together you make this great picture called the kingdom of God. But we need all of you to do it. Right. So this is really cool. So this is the kingdom of God at work. Let's go briefly over this. The apostles teaching. Okay, These are the four things that their early church focused on. Jesus commissioned his believers to go into all the world. Right. This is the great commission. And to preach what Jesus preached to the disciples and to teach it to them and to baptize them and to make disciples to love God and to love their neighbor. And this was done in uh, a few different ways. One, preaching, okay, is the statement of facts about Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. He lived a sinless life. He died willingly for the sins of the world on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day, right? He appeared to many people, even up to 500 at one time, and then he went to heaven and he said, I will send the Holy Spirit to you who will empower you to live a life that pleases me. Statement of facts. That's preaching. That's what I get to do every Sunday morning. I get to tell you the truth about Jesus and how much he loves you, right? But then there's teaching. Teaching is where you get to go a little bit deeper. That's why we like Sunday school in small groups. It's because the statement of fact happens, and then you get to talk about it and learn about it and explain the facts in more detail, and you get to grow as you engage hands-on. Because this is like a me yakking at you, right? But in the teaching aspect, you get to engage in a different way with the teacher. So preaching is important, statement of fact. Then teaching, where you get to engage, and you get to grow, and you get to learn And then exhortation, which is just encouragement, right? This is in like a one-on-one thing, or maybe it happens in a class, or maybe it happens before church or after church. And you encourage, and you counsel, and you correct, and you advise the people in the body of Christ to keep at it. You know what the facts are. You know that we are called to live this way. Let's keep doing it together. Don't fall behind. Let's link arms. Let's do this together. This is what it means when they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching facts and growing in their faith, right, and encouraging one another to do that daily. Does that make sense, right? So it might be said that it's important to come to church on Sunday and get preached at, right, okay? And it might be said it's really important to come to Sunday school or a small group or a devotional because you need to engage on a different level than you would on Sunday morning. And beyond that, you need people in your life who can say, hey, I can see you're struggling. Let's come along and let's do this together. I will help you. Let's do this, right? So the apostles' teaching, very important. But it wasn't just teaching, right? It was fellowship, okay? You probably see where I'm going with this. This is uh, self-explanatory here, okay? Fellowship. Now, this word in our culture means like hanging out, right? Right? Um, We have fellowship together. We schedule fellowship time, right? We have a fellowship hall where we do fellowship, right? But shame on us because fellowship isn't something that you schedule. Fellowship is a lifestyle of the Christian believer, right? It means a partnership in all areas of life, sharing and helping and daily interactions and serving. And, And in the passage that we read, fellowship actually means Giving your own stuff away to meet the needs of other people. This means, fellowship, being intertwined in the life of the people in the church and the community so that when they have a need, you meet the need. And you just do it because you love them and you're in this together, okay? Um, fellowship is not a scheduled event it is a committed lifestyle enabled by the Holy Spirit and if you claim the blood of Jesus you are part of the fellowship of the kingdom of God and we are called to live a life of sacrificial love towards one another so apostles teaching fellowship breaking of bread right we like potlucks can I get an amen Amen. right okay so um, fellowship time this, this breaking of bread time is um, a shared meal, right? You ever just have a meal with someone that you don't know very well, and by the end of the meal, you find out how much you have in common, right? And there's something about sharing a meal with someone that is more personal than just talking in the line at the grocery store, right? Um, and, and walls come down when you eat, and I don't know what it is. I think it's just a holy thing, okay? But breaking of bread together was something that was very common in the early church and it served several purposes hungry people got a meal right this is important this is a way that the church loves and serves people we come together we have potlucks we throw donuts on the table right we feed people right this is important and it provides an opportunity to engage in fellowship Right. As you're sitting and you're talking over a meal, you're getting to hear about their day. You're getting to hear about needs and you're giving and you're taking and you're finding out how you might be able to serve someone or pray for someone or encourage someone. You might actually have a gospel centered conversation where you can say, oh, man, we were talking about this in Bible study the other day and oh, but I didn't understand this. And all of a sudden, the apostles teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread are happening at the same time over bacon. Right. It's a holy, (laughs) holy experience. Just saying, not turkey bacon, and I can say that because Diane's not here. <laughs> not turkey bacon, Diane. Uh, I love Diane. Um, and uh, and the other half of the breaking of bread is not like the potluck meal where we gather together and eat, but it's literally the breaking of bread, the communion meal that Jesus instituted on the night that he was betrayed when he took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and he passed it to his disciples and then he took the cup of wine and he said this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins drink this and when you do do it in remembrance of me that portion of the meal was not the meal where you come to get your stomachs filled it was the portion of the meal where you come to get your soul filled right So you share a meal and your stomachs get filled and your hearts get filled and you have this great fellowship time And then you gather together and you break bread and you say we remember why we do this It's because jesus died for their sins He united us together across all walks of life And it doesn't matter where we've been or what we've done or the things that we've done or said or not said We are bought by the blood of jesus and we are his kingdom. We are his people. We are his children We are an embassy for christ and Christ unites us. Above all other differences, it's Christ that unites us. And so the breaking of bread was both a potluck and then the communion meal. Now, the last thing that the church did was prayer. Okay? And this makes up the body of Christ. The majority of the book of Acts, it's short for Acts of the Apostles, right? If you've ever wondered why it's called Acts, it's the Acts of the Apostles. And it's actually... um, the same book as the book of luke so the guy who wrote the gospel of luke actually wrote the book of acts and it was originally one book but in our modern bible they split the two up so that we got the gospel centered portion of jesus's story and then the story of what happened afterwards but they were written by the same guy and if you read them back to back it's just a really interesting way to read that story as one big story needless to say the entire book of acts talks about the church in prayer it's amazing if you go through the book of Acts and circle everything that talks about prayer it's all over the place um in Acts chapter 4 it talks about how the believers prayed together together they prayed right because they were gathering together all the time for fellowship and meals and it says this um, in Acts chapter 4 starting in verse 24 and when they heard the Holy Spirit they lifted their voices together to God and when they prayed The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So they prayed together. But Acts chapter 10 tells us that believers also pray alone. The next day when they were on their journey and they were approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop in the morning to pray. So believers pray alone. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Believers are to pray without ceasing. So we get this idea that prayer is something that we do together. It's something that we do individually. And it's something that we are always to do because prayer is how we communicate with God, our spirit and God's spirit talking together. And it's what reminds us that God is working on us and calling us to live a life of togetherness. Now, when it comes to our checkup on the church, we have to ask ourselves, how the church, how is the church doing It's easy enough to ask how our soul is doing, right? Because we go, how do I feel today? That's how we evaluate. Do I feel sad? Do I feel discouraged? Do I feel guilty? Um, Maybe the world is speaking into me more than the spirit. Do I feel confident? Do I feel forgiven? Maybe the spirit of God is speaking into me more today. And sometimes we struggle with that balance. But when it comes to the church, if we all had to write on a piece of paper on a scale of 1 to 10, how do we feel, right? And then judge the church health based on that, that's not really a great way to do it. The Bible gives us these clear pictures, right? The church is to exist for fellowship and teaching and prayer and breaking of bread. And together, that makes a healthy church, right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, how's your, uh, how's your women's ministry? How's your men's ministry? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, do you have a thriving youth group? Nowhere in the Bible does it talk about that thing. It says, do you submit to the teaching, and do you fellowship and give sacrificially, and do you break bread together, and do you pray? That's what the church is supposed to look like. And we need to honestly look at the church that we participate in and evaluate not based on our own comfort, but the standards of the church set by the word of God. Okay.